In this episode, we start to talk about the Apostle Paul as we continue to talk about the book of Ephesians. We also talk about the Word, and we talk about Jesus, and we talk about the Bible. Is the Bible a book, or is the Bible something more than that? We're going to talk about all of that on this episode of the Dig Deeper Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Dig Deeper podcast. Here we go. We are finally back again to record some more episodes. And That's good. It's been good. I've actually gotten some feedback from other people who have listened. I've actually been quite surprised already at people who are listening. Yeah. And I guess it's uh, worth our time to mention that... Uh, the church that you pastor is currently meeting online only again. Yes, all the more reason to have more digital resources. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, this is great. It's good to, it's good to be doing this. And uh, I wanted to pick back up kind of where we left off. Mm-hmm. Um, we had talked about predestination, mm-hmm. and um, I have just really enjoyed listening to the sermons the last few weeks. Um, and anybody who's listening to this, you can listen to these sermons on Spotify. Um, if you do a search, what is the search? It's Praise and Worship Lutheran. Praise yeah. and Worship Lutheran on Spotify yeah. or Apple Podcasts. If you put in Praise and Worship, you're going to get Matt Marr and all those guys, and that's okay. great. But if you add Lutheran, then we're the only one that'll Perfect. pop up. <laughs> yeah, so anybody who's interested in listening to the series on Ephesians, I would highly, highly recommend it. It has been really good. And even though the last several weeks have been online only, I have really enjoyed listening to them. And uh, it's actually kind of, I think it's kind of shocking and telling that really, I think some of the most applicable like real most important topics concerning salvation mm-hmm. are landing at a time when people actually can't come to church. Yeah, that is, I have to admit, that is a paradox and it is a, it is unique. I mean, I wake up sometimes thinking, how, do, how can this be the way it is? And yet, here we go. We'll do another online week and there we go. And so, one of the things that I was thinking about with this is, you know, sometimes when you dig deeper, you go into a more, you, you delve deep into a specific topic and, or you, you take apart something even further to analyze it. Yes. And I think that's great. But one of my favorite quotes that I heard once was the best reading is rereading. Mm. And so I thought it would be kind of fun to maybe look back at the last three chapters of Ephesians. Absolutely. You've done about six weeks worth of sermons. Yes. And you've taken uh, a chapter and broke it in half and done yep. a half every single week. Each chapter, half a chapter, or each week, half a chapter. And, um, and that's been great. I've really enjoyed that pace. And for me, I've been trying to read Ephesians mm-hmm. a little bit every day, kind of throughout this entire season, yep. because this is really 
the kind of letter that you can read over and over and over and over and over. And every time you read it, there's more and more that pops out on the page. That's very true. So when it comes to the Bible, the best reading truly is the rereading. I had somebody once who had this infinite Bible plan he was going to do in a year. And it was like, on this day, I'm going to read a Psalm. And on this day, I'm going to read uh, a gospel. And on this day, I'm going to read a letter. And on this day, I'm going to read a prophet. And on oh, this yeah. day, I'm going to read a proverb. And they do that every single week. And it's like, how do you even remember what you read right. a week ago? Exactly. Yeah. And oh, so man. I'm always like, well, what would be, what would be more beneficial? Would it be more beneficial to read the whole Bible in a year, or would it be more beneficial to read a book like Ephesians, which you could read the entire book of Ephesians in probably 30 minutes Mm -hmm. in one sitting. But what if you were to read that like every single day for a year? Well, and what's ironic is that that's a much more Hebrew way of approaching it. Um, Like, for example, if, if you ever, this... I mean, Ephesians is short in comparison to much of the Bible. So you think of like the book of Genesis with 50 chapters, Ephesians has six. But the, the old rabbis would always say, you need, it's not that you need to read Ephesians, or excuse me, Genesis is what they were talking about. It's not that you need to read Genesis um, and memorize it or whatever. I mean, obviously that's what they would do, but you need to read it a thousand times. I mean, you need to read Genesis your whole life. And then after your 10,000th, 20,000th reading, you'll start to understand it. I mean, that's literally what the old rabbis would say. So that truly is what you're suggesting with Ephesians is very much a Hebrew approach to letting the text kind of, well, as, um, as Ezekiel might say, eating the book, literally eating it, <laughs> not just reading it and seeing it, but ingesting it. And yeah. And so I would say, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast mm-hmm. who go to church here, but yeah. we, we obviously want to reach more people than just that. But absolutely, you know, as, as, as you're doing church online, as you're sitting at home, one suggestion that I would have for people is to try to read this more often. Yeah. Um, you don't have to read the whole thing in one sitting. You could right. read a chapter a day and read through the entire thing in a week. Yeah. And if you did that every single week that we were doing this series, mm. you would come back, I think, really at a place where when you come to church, when you're hearing the readings out loud, it's all very familiar to you. I think that's huge. And, and a good example of that is this past week, we were doing Ephesians chapter 4, the first 16 verses. And it begins with, therefore. So it's like the very introduction of my sermon this week was like, we had to go back to the first three chapters and talk about them. And it's like, but if you were doing what you're saying, then you're reading them and you're like, as soon as you hear Paul say, therefore, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm saved by grace through faith. I was chosen before the foundation of the earth. You know, he did this to unite heaven and earth. You know, all of that starts to flow back in, especially because it's right on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, so the the, the therefore, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, a thing that you see in other letters that are written by this guy named Paul. Yeah, he loves that word. And you you often see them kind of like you do here in Ephesians, where it's kind of at the halfway point. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at Ephesians, it's six chapters long, and then right at chapter 
4, at the very beginning, we have this therefore. Yes. Now, for a lot of church people, they know this, you know, the whole joke is, you know, when you see a therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? Right. But for somebody who maybe doesn't know a whole lot about the Bible or doesn't mm-hmm. know about Scripture or doesn't know about Paul, yeah. what, what could you say to them that would help them to better see this, this connection? That's a really good question, and it relates to the genre that he's writing in, which is a, a, you know, a first-century New Testament, as we would call it New Testament now, but it's, it's a first-century letter. And he is, he's doing teaching in there the way a Pharisee of his time, a Pharisee was a particular religious sect that he came out of where they were taught to build points based upon Scripture, to make arguments from Scripture, which is to say, not to argue, but to build a case, you might say, like a, like a lawyer would. And then as you've assembled all your evidence, then you say, therefore, to then deliver the conclusion. So all of this evidence is being, is being built up, and that's a language he uses a lot of in the letter. It's being built up and assembled, and then boom, he's going to say, because of all of this, therefore. You know, and that's kind of his his style, and he was trained by Gamaliel, we learn in the book of Acts, and scholars have attempted to kind of find, you know, some of the rabbinical writings from the period, and you can definitely see that structure was part of Paul's education. So he's just doing what he'd all of he's been taught. Of course, now he's got all this zeal, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, carried by the Holy Spirit, and it's a great reminder that the Holy Spirit uses people. He didn't, he didn't like grab Paul's hand and write, of course, we know Paul didn't write, he had a he had a, a penman for him. He would dictate, and the penman would write. We we see this at the end of many of his letters. The penman will say, "Hey, I'm the one who wrote it," you know, and and so um, we have that person there too. But the idea is the Holy Spirit's using all of them in this style that he'd been taught in. ask you this and this is actually a little bit of a a detour sure that's <laughs> what could, dig deeper is for it could be potentially a rabbit hole but yeah. but let me ask you this because i know i know people who believe that it's all about the bible mm. it's all about god's word mm-hmm. and when you hear the word god's word and when you hear the word the bible you think of this book yeah you know a leather bound gold oh, yeah. gold lined, leaf definitely got to be gold leaf um <laughs> book yes that you know we we use that and 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 a lot of christians will say this is their this is the authoritative text mm-hmm. this is how, what we base everything that we believe yes. and you have other traditions well, I use the word tradition kind of intentionally there because you have other people who think it's not necessarily about this book. It's about the traditions or mm. it's about yes. the the church itself. Right, right. And so you, I, I only bring that up because if we go back to the time of Paul, mm-hmm. 
we're not going to have these things, these leather-bound, no. gold-lined yeah. books yeah. that we call the Bible. Sure. Um, I just recently did a, a Bible project class that you can take for free yes. uh, that talks about the Hebrew Bible. And the thing that you learn very quickly in this class is that this thing that we call a book, it's a, it's a technology. And it the is technology, technology is called a codex. Yes. And Invented by Christians to, to make what we now call a Bible. Right. But yeah. So we have this, we have this book, and, and, and we in, in America, we, we have access to this book everywhere. It's yes. in every drawer, in every hotel room. Absolutely. Everywhere. And yes. not only that, but we have it now on our phones, which is a whole, it's a whole nother shift. Yes. It's the same thing. But it's the technology has changed. New technology, you're exactly so right. We have this new technology, but again, going back to the time of Paul, mm-hmm. this technology, this compilation of letters didn't really exist like we have it. Exactly. It would have been all of these big giant scrolls. Yes. And it would have been what really is the Old Testament for us. Yeah, what we call the Old Testament, that's right. Um, and there's people, I'm sure, out there that probably still believe to an extent that when you talk about the Word of God, you're only talking about those original scrolls. And then you have Paul mm-hmm. who shows up. Yes. And for a Christian today... So much of the New Testament, that new part of the Bible, mm-hmm. is written by this guy named Paul. Yeah, most of it. And Paul even says, look, I have gotten this revelation. This revelation has come to me. From Jesus. And it's weird because you could almost take that and say, well, is God done revealing stuff to people? Sure. Because there are traditions even today that say... Oh no, um, you know, we're yeah. still creating the tradition. God is still revealing to us today mm-hmm. his word. Yep. So is his word that thing from the past? Is his word this thing that Paul is writing? Is his word the new revelations that are coming today through the way that our culture is going and yeah. those types of things? What is it? It's a really good question, and and you're and you're right that it's a bit of a rabbit hole, but I think it's a really good one, and it's not in it's not a rabbit trail. It's actually a foundational question. So think of it like this: if if you open your Bible and you read John chapter one, in the beginning was the Word. Okay, and I find that very interesting. The Greek behind that is logos. So logos is if you open a Greek dictionary, it either means word, it means idea, or even maybe a teaching. Um, so in the beginning was an idea, was a word, which is it? And of course, that's part of the question. That's part of the, is like, yes. And then the word was God and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And then if we keep reading John, he, we find out this is Jesus. So why would, why would John, again, we would say carried by the Holy Spirit, write down that Jesus was the word? And so it's really interesting because when people ask me that, they always say, well, how do you, why do you just believe an old book? And I'm like, I don't believe an old book. I believe in a man who rose from the dead. I always start with Jesus because he is the word. Now, 
the listener will be quick to point out, but Mark, you figured that out from the old book, and then they'll think you're doing circular reasoning. And I'm like, well, actually, that's true in one sense, but actually what happened is, is I've grown up knowing Jesus, so someone, some person had to bring him to me. And that is the key. If, if, if I, yeah, if I do, if I am in a hotel room, and I open up and I see the Gideon Bible there, and I read it, you could say I'm getting it from the book, but I would still even make the argument, well, the Gideon brought it there, right? And somebody gave the Gideon the money to print the Bible, to, to drive there and put it in that hotel. And there were people that prayed for that. There were people that, that sang hymns at the service that the Gideon was asking for money at and all these things, you know, you get all this story. But, but the reason I bring all that up is the ancient church, they used to call it the regular fide, the rule of faith. It's this idea that the gospel, the word, is, a, is alive and his name is Jesus. But yes, it also becomes an authoritative word that's written down. And that authority is given by God to the writer and then it's carried forth. I'll give you a perfect example of how this plays out. So Jesus, the word of God, the son of God, the, the son of man, he goes out into the wilderness, which is a, a hyperlink in itself to the book of Numbers and others. Um, he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil comes at him and will make a claim, you know, throw yourself off the temple, turn these stones to bread, you know, whatever, all these different things, three different ones. And each time Jesus responds, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, but he responds to the devil by saying, it is written. So this is really interesting because he's quoting something that was written by his servant Moses in the book of Deuteronomy as authoritative over the devil, even though Jesus himself is God. And I, I find that to be a, an ultimate example. Is it a book that he was quoting? Well, you could make the argument, yes, it was a scroll, the scroll of Deuteronomy. But he, the words that he spoke did something, right? And not only that, but then he himself is the true author of those words. And yet, it, so you have all of that dynamic come together and it finally says the devil left him. You know, after he said it is written three times, the devil just left him. He defeated the devil by saying it is written. So, so I, I think that there's, there's a, a powerful thing there, but there's also a danger. Because there's really kind of three things you could think about here. There's something called fundamentalism. And I think it has to be brought up here because if it is the golden leaf Bible that fell from the sky, the authorized version, King James 1611, that that is the source and norm of God's word, then what you're doing is you're saying that the Bible came down from heaven. But actually, that's never what we preach or teach or confess. We preach, teach, and confess that Jesus came down from heaven. So while it is true, he He's the one, it's because he said it is written that we say, okay, Deuteronomy is in the Bible. That's, that's authoritative because he said it was. He said, Moses this and Moses that, so we're going to accept Moses' teachings. He said the prophet Isaiah, he said the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Jonah, he would refer to them and quote them and use them, teach from them. And then he would then do something new. He would, he would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. So he's not changing anything that was in there, but he's changing the way people were using it. And, he, and then he would say this. He would say, I tell you the truth, not one, not the, not the smallest character. He called, called it a, a jot or a tittle, which is kind of the, when you take Hebrew, go into Aramaic, to go through Greek and come to English. It, you know, it's these little dashes and dots in the text 
that he's saying not even the least of those will disappear because I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, our way of saying, his way of saying the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill them. And that ultimately becomes the thing is that, is that yeah, humans wrote the Bible as they were carried along by the, by the Holy Spirit. And that word was given to them and, 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 and communicated to us by him, by God himself. So that's why like when I'm preaching a sermon, we're as aud- I'm audacious enough to think, and I and and I have to tell you, as the one who's preaching, I, it is extremely ridiculous for me to say this, is that God is speaking, not to make Mark authoritative, not at all, but that He's using all the tools that I've just mentioned, the the Bible itself, the people who printed it, the people who put it into digital format, the people who help us stream it out on the internet. He's using myself, He's using yourself, He's using all the people involved to get it out there, and again. If I stepped aside and you or someone else stepped aside and did the, it did the same, it would be equally God's word. It has nothing to do with the, the instrument. It has to do with him being present and caring for it. That's why if somebody says, oh, Mark, there are errors in the Bible. And I'm like, which ones? That's always the question because they they, most people are just copying and pasting something they've read on an internet meme somewhere. But when they, if they actually have a substantial one, and there's a few I could say, hey, let's go look at these. These are difficulties. To me, I don't have any problem with that. Because that means humans were involved, and every once in a while they'll they'll write something down and be like, well, well that did, that doesn't make sense because if they said that they would mean this, and then the human will change it. But of course, God had in His, in his providence has made sure that we would have so many copies that we can detect those and resolve them, which is the process known as textual textual criticism, and it's a powerful tool that's helped us see that the Bible's been preserved throughout history. You know, as you encounter God in the Bible, yeah. you have to go back to page one. Always. Where God spoke. Exactly. And he spoke, and when he spoke, something happened. There you go. He didn't just say it. There was something in, in it where he said it, and it happened. You have just summarized <laughs> biblical theology, is that he spoke and something happened. So, you know, we look at Adam and Eve, yeah, and, you know, you can eat of any tree of this garden, but do not eat of the tree of good and evil, mm-hmm. lest you die, mm-hmm. basically. That's what he said. That was the Bible. For yeah. Adam and Eve, that was it. That was their one-sentence Bible. All of God's Word in one sentence. Exactly right. And... So, you know, it's interesting because it's, I I hear so much and my mind is going a million different directions now because we, you know, we say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. So does God, does God still, does, does God still speak to us today? Mm. And is he saying the same things that he's been saying for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, going back all the way back to Paul, maybe going back all the way back to the very beginning, Mm -hmm. is the thing that he's saying, because there's people that come out today on TV and go, oh, I heard God say this random crazy thing. You need to buy my thing. You need to go 
to do this crazy thing, or you need to go do that. God told me to tell you that. Right. We have a lot of that. Oh, we do. And <laughs> we, do. we also have traditions that follow yeah. the Bible, Yeah. but they also have lots and lots of other additional things yes. in addition to the Bible. Right. And, you know, one of the first things that I will encounter, even when looking in like a, you know, just to bring it up, like the the Catholic catechism. Sure is this idea that we, our hearts yearn for God mm-hmm. and, you know, God comes to us and reveals himself to us. Yeah. And he reveals himself to us through nature. Mm-hmm. He reveals himself to us in a lot of different ways. Correct. So we acknowledge that those things are very real things. Mm-hmm. We also acknowledge that God spoke through a guy named Paul. Yes. I mean, what do you, you always say this when, right before you read uh-huh. any, any of Paul's letters, you say, Paul carried by the Holy carried Spirit. Carried by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, I'm guessing that's kind of a Lutheran thing. Well, it, you know, it's ironic. I don't think you would find that. I mean, you will, you would hear it from time to time in Lutheran churches, but I'll tell you the main reason I do it is because Praise and Worship is located in Branson, Missouri, and in our our context, um, the churches that are around us and that people have grown up in, maybe they're not going to church anymore, that's who we tend to get connected with, is people who are kind of de-churched, they grew up hearing that God wrote the Bible. Okay, and I would agree with that statement in, for all the reasons we've described. However, what that means is when I refer to the, you know, like if you read Ephesians chapter one, it says, hi, I'm Paul and I'm writing this letter. You know, it's like, well, well, I thought God wrote the Bible. So, so I'm doing two things. I'm actually showing, I'm, I'm trying to prevent what's called biblicism. Biblicism is the belief or fundamentalism is sort of a, a, a worse version of that is to believe that it, you know, the Bible fell out of heaven, right? And, and it, cause it didn't, a guy named Paul dictated to a guy named Tychicus who wrote down what he said. And then countless number of scribes made copies of the letter. And then thankfully they're made so many copies that we can get very close to the, the absolute original. We get very close. There's a few variants that are important, but the point is, is that we can, we have a very reliable text. However, humans were involved. So that's why I always say Paul as carried by the Holy spirit wrote because Paul wrote it. Paul was the one who said, you know, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. God didn't say that in so many words. In other words, he didn't use his vocal cords to dictate the letter. He used Paul's vocal cords and he used Paul's language and Paul's culture and Paul's personality. Paul's personality comes out all over the place in these letters. If you go to read Peter, you're going to get a very different set of vocabulary and culture and personality. And it's a beautiful thing. This comes to the diversity that we talked, you, t- you mentioned. Um, it's this idea that, you know, if I'm reading John, John is going to absolutely do everything in threes and triads and do all these things. Peter's going to be like, you know, you need to know about this that happened and you need to know this that happened. And Paul's going to be like, listen, 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 therefore, <laughs> you know, and so you're going to get these very different styles. Um, you read James and he's like, wash your hands, you sinners. You know, I mean, you're getting a very different attitude. All of it is God's word. Holy Spirit worked through all of them. We learned this and. Peter's second letter in particular, but in many places. And so because of Jesus. 
Yeah. So, you know, I bring this up because there was a part that I've been reading lately in Ephesians. It's kind of made me think a little bit because he uses some of these words that I've heard kind of a lot recently in sort of my own spiritual pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of doesn't make a lot of sense immediately. And I just figure I should just read these to you. Sure. Because it was was in Ephesians chapter 3. Okay. And he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. Yes. we We can dig deeper into that for sure. We will. And he's a prisoner, Mm -hmm. you know, so the next verse, he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for (laughs) you. Yes. See, there you go. That, that captures exactly what we're talking about is God came to Paul. Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. It's like, sup, homie. I mean, that's a slight paraphrase. <laughs> but the idea behind that is, is that it, it knocked Paul down. I mean, he had a real encounter. You know, I was just talking to an atheist the other day, and he was kind of mad at me. I mean, he was just like, you know, you guys just all you... And, and basically, all of his complaints were caricatures. They weren't the actual story, and he because he wasn't familiar with it. He'd just been reading some online posts. And in that conversation, he goes, you know, that's what drives me crazy is you just think that God dictated the Bible. And I'm like, I am so sorry that you think that we think that because we don't. We think that Paul, we think that real people had real encounters with God and, and that the Lord has seen fit to weave all of those encounter, encounters together into a unified story. I'm borrowing from the Bible Project's language there. One unified story that points to Jesus. I love how they say that. But the idea is that language is right because whether I'm reading Genesis or Revelation or Ephesians or anything in between, it's about Jesus. It's ultimately about Jesus. It's about the word of God. And so, so this idea that when you read, like you said, on behalf, you know, he's like that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. So Paul's like saying, this is a personal thing. And it was then so that I could then give it to y'all. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a real event. It happened in history to a guy from Tarsus. You know, we can go to Tarsus and find out where he grew up and look at what the kind of town that is. And then we can we can talk about Ephesus. You can actually go to Ephesus, even though it's more of a sort of a it's gone. You know, I mean, there's pieces left, but yeah, the whole thing happened to real people in real places. I guess it's just fascinating because you look at the Old Testament, and it all points to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Gospels, and the yes. Gospels talk about Jesus. Yep. It's almost like you're in the past in the Old Testament. Yeah. Then in the Gospels, you're really in the present. Correct. And then the New Testament, the letters of Paul, oh. you're kind of looking back. You're kind of uh-huh. taking that that time that Jesus was there yes. and you're breaking that up. You're kind of analyzing it at this point. So yes. we're getting kind of our first sort of in-depth analysis of the story of the, the encounter of, with Christ. Yes. And then at the very end, we have sort of these pictures that go into the future Right, and so we have this. We now have this book uh-huh. that you can see Absolutely. across. Yeah, 
Well, and, and to kind of just pick up on that, that book that you're describing that we have assembled, as you said, it was invented, the idea of making a book. Of course, the Greek word book is biblios, which we, where we get the word Bible. Um, it was the first codex that was made. It was also the first book that was ever printed on a printing press. Um, now that we have uh, the realm of the digital, it was, it, 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 it's everywhere. It can't be eradicated now. And so we have this word of God that comes to us in so many ways. And we have it in ways we can read it and experience it that arguably the majority of human history did not have. Yeah. No. Now, what would you say, you know, what would you say, you know, I see, I see various faith traditions mm-hmm. that really think the most important thing is to get as many people as possible to have access to this book, yeah. whether online, whether making more copies. I mean, I've been to events where they're literally handing out little tiny Bibles. Yes. Um, you have the Gideons who, of course, are trying to put those Bibles in all of the hotel rooms. Right. You have people that really believe that there's a, a, some type of intrinsic power in making this thing as accessible as possible. Yeah. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to say that that's a bad thing at all. Sure. I, I, I certainly don't. But there's definitely an element that you see, especially amongst like Catholics, maybe even Lutherans to an extent. Sure. Of yeah, the it's important to get people access to the Bible. Right. But there's there it it sometimes seems like there's something more that kind of happens in a setting like this mm-hmm. that you know what I mean? I it's do. almost like on one end we could say the hearing of the word proclaimed is very, very important. Yes. And you, on the other end, could have people who say, the giving of a Bible is very important. Yes. Now, both of those, I'm going to say, are very important. I love both, yes. But would you say there are some people that would go even to the extreme of saying, you guys and your Bibles and your fancy (laughs) books, and you just, you worship the Bible. I think you mentioned that, Biblicism. Biblicism is definitely a problem among Christians, yeah. But then you have... But then you have these other traditions, you know, to to kind of pick on the Catholics a little bit. And the Catholics even nowadays now are recognizing this a lot more than they used to. Right. It's like most people, most Catholics, they don't really carry around a Bible. Sure. They don't even really read the Bible on their own. Yes. They, you know, they just... They don't do that. Yes. Now, the difference is, is that a lot, you know, you have a lot of Catholics who go to, to church every single day mm-hmm. and hear the Bible yeah. proclaimed out loud. Right. So all that to say, a lot of people's traditions mm-hmm. very much influence how they interact with this technology yeah. that is the book, the, book. the Bible. You strike several very important ideas there, chords, and and just a couple of them. So the first thing is, is it just 
me and my, M-A-H, Bible, B-A-H-B-L-E. Um, no, it's not you and your Bible alone. Although, if it's only you and your Bible, then that's wonderful. Um, I'm reminded of Ravi Zacharias talking, uh, telling a story about missionaries who had been imprisoned in Vietnam. And um, they, and maybe they weren't missionaries. Maybe they're prisoners of war. Don't quote me on that. We'd have to go back and ask, you know, read, hear the transcripts again. But he tells the story of these people who've been imprisoned in Vietnam and the guards use the Bibles that were sent there as toilet paper. And the prisoners would crawl down into the latrine and retrieve those used pages, clean them off and read them and have hope and eventually escape the prison when they were liberated. Um, I find that very interesting because it's a reminder that we should, must never ever, in our effort to prevent things like biblicism or other things like that, we should never ever underestimate the power of the printed word of God and remind be always be reminded that Jesus said it is written right and so that 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 is something that we are never going to let go of but at the same time we want to hold that intention with this other thing that the words that are written emphasize over and over and over again and it is the Greek word koinonia and koinonia gets translated as sharing participating communing um, and, and, though, and, and then fellowshipping, you know, those, those four ways are the most common ways that that word gets translated. So sharing, participating, fellowshipping, and communing all around God's word. So when you think about that, um, it's this ever-present reality of the Christian community. And so in the, in the Latin Bible, koinonia got translated into communion. That was a very frequent use of it. And then, of course, if you're, you know, for those who've grown up in the church, they've taken the Lord's Supper. They're like, that's what communion is. Well, that's true. But see, like if you asked me, is the word of God when I read the Bible, when I hear the Bible, or when I take communion? And I would say yes, right? That's all the word of God. So the word of God is something you can hear, something you can see in, in reading, something you can eat and drink, something that you can have splashed on your head in the waters of baptism. And the reason I say that is because of what is written. So the, the written part of it becomes the authoritative norm that we see play out in Acts chapter 17. So Paul comes to town and he begins to go to the synagogues um, in Thessalonica and he's like, guys, well, no, he's actually doing this in Ephesus, excuse me, but he's like, guys, um, let me tell you, about Jesus. He is actually the Messiah from Isaiah and all these other prophets. And the Bereans were there and they went and read the scriptures for themselves. See, this is, this is, the, this is something that becomes an entrenched value for biblical theology, for the theology of the word, and the, and the understanding of how we, how we deal with norms. So you mentioned culture, tradition, um, out, these outside influences. And if you say, if you actually make the statement, I just read the Bible. That's actually, you're actually saying that you're norming the Bible. Now you have no, I'm sure the person who says that has no intention of meaning that. But what you're saying is I just read my Bible. I don't need the church. I don't need a preacher. I don't need a teacher. I don't need any of those things. Well, <laughs> but then of course, what happens when you read the Bible and you get to the book of Hebrews and it says, do not forsake the gathering, you know, or you read Acts chapter two and it says, and they were, they would gather together and they would hear the apostles teaching and they would break bread together and they had fellowship and they had prayer. You know, so the idea is, is, is it's, it's, it, it, for those who claim it's a circular argument, I'm like, sure it is. 
because it keeps bringing us around almost in a, not a circle, but a cycle. And that is we hear, we listen, we read, we eat, we drink, we grow, we fall. We hear, we read, we eat, we drink, we grow, we fall. And that is very sadly what it means to live in the broken world, but to have God's word so that sadness becomes hope. And then that's the process. How would you react to somebody, you know, the good old boy that says, you know, the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. And, and on one level, I would say, cool. The, but the problem, where we get into the problem is, is, is so I'm, 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 I'm stuttering because there's like a million examples we could go to. But the one that, the one that I think of right away is, is all right, COVID-19, we're, we're in the pandemic, we're in the global pandemic. And praise and worship made the decision to not gather in worship for a, a several weeks while, we, while there's a lot of spiking cases in our community. So given that reality, I've, had, I've heard people say to me, almost in a similar voice to the good old boy you just quoted, you know, pastor, we shouldn't be afraid. And I'm like, agreed. And they might quote for me the Bible and say, for we did not receive a spirit of fear. We received a spirit of sonship. And I'm like, oh, I love it when you quote Romans chapter 8. That's my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. But you got to read the whole chapter, right? you got to read the whole Bible. Which is to say, yes, it is true. We, should, we do not have a spirit of fear. But we're not, we're not choosing to not meet because we're, we're having fear. We're choosing to meet because of love, which is the other dominant um, thinking in that, in that passage of scripture, this idea of love, love your neighbor. And so Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is therefore, there's your therefore again, um, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is this powerful piece of good news. It's a promise. It's a, it's a proclamation by God to us to say, you don't have to worry. You don't have to have a spirit of fear. And then, but then if you go follow it through, he's, he's talking about we've been set free. We've, we can now participate with God. So then you, you follow it into chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12. And he says, therefore, again, in view of God's mercy, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, and then he goes on to say, how can we go about loving our neighbor? And he talks about all the different ways that that can happen. So there are these, there, there, what, what was this, I, God said it, you know, or, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Yeah, but this is why we have community. Because God did say it. He said a lot of different things. So who do I believe? Aren't there a lot of different interpretations of the Bible? How do I navigate all that and all these things? And, and this is where the living voice of the gospel comes in. And he, he, his name is Jesus, he guides us through his spirit into all truth, which means he, he keeps norming us instead of us norming the word.